grab your growth guide and grab the insert because that's where the scriptures are today. And I'm basically going to run through three different aspects. Number one, I want to set this passage that we're looking at in context for what we've been talking about in the Gospel of Mark. We're in a series called Things Set Right because whatever people may believe about Jesus, they he made it very clear when he came that he came to set things right. When he announced the kingdom of God is near, to repent and believe the good news, what he was saying is all these promises that God has made to set things right, they are now beginning to be fulfilled. So he begins with us. He sets us right and then wants to invite us into his program of setting things right in the world. So in we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And beginning with last week, we began a series of three stories that are all about Jesus' identity. So we're going to look at that and see how this story, this episode, this scene from Jesus' life fits into that particular trilogy of stories. And um, because we are talking about evil and evil spirits today, I want to give just kind of a primer of some basic information for what the scriptures teach about evil spirits and what we can expect. And then we're going to look at this passage where Jesus confronts evil face to face and apply those things that we learned about evil and evil spirits and see them played out in this story. But um, the this illustrates really well the whole theme of this of this book and of this series of things set right because we are encountering a situation where Jesus become Jesus comes face to face with evil and the evil spirits basically beg him to let things be to just leave things be to to not interfere uh, the, the situation that we're going to look at today had been going on for a long time. Without Jesus' intervention, it probably would have gone on for an even longer time. And so the evil spirits are saying, you know, don't bother us. You know, you're busy. you got other things to do. Just go on with your thing and let us be. But Jesus, in that moment, decides he will not because he came to set things right. And when he encounters a situation like this, he's going to do something about it. And aren't we thankful? Because that's what he has done with each and every one of us. We were, according to the scriptures, dead in our trespasses and sins. But God made us alive in Christ Jesus. If he had committed himself to a program of just letting things be, we would be toast. We would be out of luck. But because of his great love, not because of any compulsion or had to, but because of a choice that he wanted to, he intervened. He came, he gave his life on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins, offered to us forgiveness and grace so that we might be adopted into his family, be his beloved sons and daughters and citizens in his kingdom. Are you glad that Jesus didn't just leave things be? I mean, are, are you? I mean, where would we be if that were the case? All right, so let's look at it together. Uh, growth guide. 
beginning at the beginning. This is the ultimate question. This is the bottom line. I'm using this question as a bottom line, and that is let things be or set things right. Let things be or set things right. And uh, that comes from this particular verse. This is in the middle of it. We'll come back to this, but just so that you see where it's from. Mark chapter 5, verse 7. With a shriek, he, the man who was possessed by demons, screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Literally, it says, what, what business do you have with me? What, what's between you and me? You know, it's like, leave me alone. I, I, I don't want anything to do with you. You don't want anything to do with me. Just leave things be. But Jesus did not and would not. But that was the question that he faced. Do I let things be or do I set things right? Now, remember I said that I would set this story in the context of this trilogy of stories that are happening right now. This is a major section. Again, if you just read through the Gospel of Mark, it might seem on first read as if it's a bunch of disconnected stories. But there is a pattern and a process and a plan to the way that the Gospel of Mark is set up. And remember, at the very beginning, Mark tells us what he thinks about Jesus. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's Mark 1.1. So that's what he, he wants us to, to be understanding, that this is good news, that it's a good news about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised anointed one, the agent of God to accomplish his purposes, to set things right and that he is the son of God, and that that pointed to his divinity, and that he is more than just a man, fully man, but also fully divine, fully God as well. So in these, uh, from that point on, Mark doesn't tell us who Jesus is directly. He lets the story and the experiences that he recounts tell us and convince us of what's going on. So here we're in the middle of three stories where he is showing, not telling, but showing us who Jesus is. And in particular, pointing to his divinity to show that he is more than just a man. He is God in the flesh. That began last week when we were talking about the calming of the storm and the seas. And so if you're taking notes, this is the first part. Jesus is more powerful than the forces of nature. We looked last week at how in the Old Testament scriptures, it's always talking about how God rules over the forces of nature. In Psalm 89.9, that's an example. You, talking to God, talking to the Lord, you rule the surging of the sea. When its waves rise, you calm them. So what's it saying? God is the one who is in control of the surging of the seas and the calming of the seas. That is his divine power. And so then we see this story, the scene that, J that Mark recounts, and he does the exact same thing. When Jesus woke up, this is Mark 4:39. he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. So through this whole story, what he's showing is, look, you guys know, you my readers know, you, you understand that it's God who is in control of the forces of nature. And here's Jesus, groggy waking up from a nap, saying to the storm and to the seas, 
be quiet, pipe down. And they immediately respond. They immediately, supernaturally obey. What conclusion are we supposed to draw from that, right? Okay, so then this story that we're looking at today demonstrates that Jesus is more powerful than the evil spirits. Remember, in the last trilogy of stories that we looked at about the different responses to Jesus, one was he's crazy, the other is he's possessed, the other is that he is Lord, God, Christ, and Messiah. In that second one, when they were saying he was possessed, he responded in part by telling the story uh, the parable of the strong man. If you got a strong man and it's his house, you have to first subdue the strong man before you can rob him, right? And so the conclusion that you're supposed to draw from that is, oh, okay, if Jesus is coming in and casting out demons, he must be stronger than the strong man. Who is stronger than the demons, than all the powers of Satan? God. And here's Jesus commanding the evil spirits. So Jesus is more powerful than evil spirits. That's what the two blanks are. And from this story, when they came, Mark 5, 15, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legions of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. A person who had been a madman under possession of a legion of demons is now in his right man, right mind because of Jesus. Then the story that we'll look at next week, we see that Jesus is more powerful than death, disease, and sickness. That's the fill in the blank at the beginning of that second page, death, disease, and sickness. And there's two stories. This will be a Mark and Sandwich, remember that? Uh, term that Mark sometimes combines two stories. He starts with one, goes to the second one, comes back to the other. We saw that in the responses to Jesus. We'll see that in the healings that happen in the next one. First, uh, there's a woman who is, uh, who is healed. Immediately the bleeding stops. She could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. And then a little girl holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. So throughout this whole trilogy of stories, you are supposed to see through Jesus' actions and his exercised authority and power that he is, in fact, God in the flesh. So with that background, let's look at the powers of evil. And before we do that, I want to just give you this verse as kind of a baseline understanding. This is 1 John 4, 4. The spirit who lives in you. What's he talking about? He's speaking to believers. He's speaking to followers of Jesus. And when you say yes to Jesus, part of the benefit of that is God's Holy Spirit comes and resides and lives in you. So he's speaking to believers and he says the spirit who lives in you, talking about the Holy Spirit, is greater, is greater than the spirit who lives in in the world. The spirit of the world is Satan, the devil, evil, demonic spirits. And he's saying, when you belong to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit trumps everybody and everything else. So you do not have to be afraid. The, um, the famous author and theologian C.S. Lewis has a quote that goes something like, there are two dangers that people make when dealing with the devil. One is to ignore him, and one is to give him too much attention. 
And so sometimes believers, when they think about evil spirits, there's a, there's a fear that grips them. And what I want to help you to understand is that Jesus is more powerful than evil spirits. You do not have to be afraid if you belong to Jesus. If God's Holy Spirit is living and residing in you, you belong to him, you are protected by him, you are under his authority, and the spirit that lives in you is greater than he who lives in the world. But let's look at evil spirits. Evil spirits are real. There is assumed right from the start of the scriptures that there are opposing evil forces. We see it at the very beginning, personified in the snake that shows up in the Garden of Eden. It goes all the way to the end of Revelation when that snake is identified specifically as the, the devil or Satan, and we see him ultimately defeated in the book of Revelation. But it's real, and so we should be aware of that. Here are just some examples from the scriptures, because like I said, it's throughout. But Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So our battle is not ultimately against evil people or evil in the world. It's the evil behind the evil in the world. It's just assumed that there are spiritual forces at work in opposition to God and in opposition to God's people. Then I also wanted to point out this because sometimes we can err on the side of not taking evil spirits seriously en enough. But in Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 to 11, this is what it said. Now, what's happening here is Moses is giving basically a very long sermon to the people of Israel to prepare them to get ready for what's next as they enter the land. When you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you, be careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. So Moses, what are those detestable customs that we are supposed to avoid? For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. Now, hopefully... None of you have been tempted to do that. You know, that's not a thing necessarily in our uh, world today. Uh, but he's saying, look, you're getting ready to get into a culture where this is normal, where this is how they think they please God. This is the right thing to do. Don't do that. Okay, so maybe in our world we need to hear a little bit of that as well. We don't sacrifice our son or daughter. But then look at the things that he goes on to. It's like there's this horrible thing. You know, you can't even imagine doing this. But then he goes on and lists some other things, these detestable practices. And do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. So uh, here, here's how I explain the, per the perspective behind that. In the scriptures, it's very clear that there are only two sources of spiritual power in our universe. The ultimate power of good, which is God, and a lesser but still powerful evil spirit embodied in the devil or Satan and 
He has his minions. He has his demons, just like God has his angels. So he says, when you tap in to some kind of spiritual power, you're either tapping in to one or the other, because those are the only choices that are out there. So what he's saying here is when you mess around with fortune telling, when you just say, oh, it's just a game, and you pull out a Ouija board, when you read the horoscopes, when you look at tarot cards, you're tapping into the evil source of power. And as you'll see, that power is destructive, committed to your death and destruction. Why on earth would you do that? So he's doing us a favor by pointing out and making very clear. There are only two sources of spiritual power in the world. There's God and there's everything else. When you mess with, play with, dabble in any of that other stuff, you are playing with fire because those are evil spirits, no matter how good or benevolent they might try to present themselves, and it's a dangerous and destructive path. And that leads to the next point. Evil spirits are destructive. Jesus put it, the contrast very clearly in John 10.10 10, when he said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Life to the full or turning yourself over to someone who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And then lastly, the good news part of this is that evil spirits are subject to Jesus. Okay, let me try to put this in, in the big context. Jesus comes, and the summary of his message is the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, what is the kingdom of God? That's God's setting up his rule, setting things right, bringing justice and judgment to evil, and deliverance and righteousness and life to his people. So there's kind of an ultimate sense to this, that this is, this is the end, this is the judgment, this is what's being revealed. In the gospel, or I'm sorry, in the, the letter to the Romans, we, uh, you might be more familiar with the part that says uh, that salvation is being revealed from faith to faith. Well, there's a parallel to that. The judgment, the wrath of God is being revealed. See, in the gospel, both the judgment and the mercy, the grace and salvation, and the judgment and closure of everything evil, justice, is coming about. So at the end of that process, because remember the, the, the ages overlap, at the end of that process, it's described in Revelation 21.4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things. All of those things, death, mourning, crying, pain, all that belongs to the old order of things. Jesus announced the kingdom of God is at hand. And so there is a sense in which, as he shows up, it means the end. It means the it means closure. It means destruction of evil powers and evil forces. So keep that in mind. That will play into that story. 
And then lastly, because the spirits, uh, the evil spirits are subject to Jesus because Jesus is God and God is the greater good power, then it's helpful to remember that because lately, not so much, I haven't heard of it so much lately, but if you've been in Christian circles for the last 10 to 20 years, let's say, there's been a great emphasis from time to time on spiritual warfare. And people will write books about all the different things you need to do or have to do or whatever to overcome evil spirits. Can I just simplify it for you? James 4, 7, submit therefore to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Remember, I've mentioned a couple of times during this message about authority. When you place yourself under God's authority, you are placing yourself under his protection You are submitting to God. Before that, you were under the authority of the enemy, whether you realized it, recognized it, acknowledged it, believed it or not. And so you were subject to that evil influence, evil power, and the destruction that flows from that. But once you say yes to Jesus and you move under his authority, under his protection, then you submit to God. You resist the devil. You don't have to listen to him anymore. He doesn't have power over you anymore. And he will flee from you. That's the promise of Scripture. So that's kind of a primer. Evil spirits are real. They're destructive. But they're also subject to Jesus. So let's look at this scene where, again, Jesus is going to encounter a legion of demonic spirits. They're going to beg him to just let him be, just to move on, just to keep going. But he refuses. He's going to set things right. And he's going to exercise his authority over the evil spirits and thus demonstrate, just as he did with the forces of nature and just as he will with death, disease, and sickness, that he is God and exercises God's authority and power. So, Let's start with the man. Well, I'm going to look at, point out just a couple of things, and then I'll read the the whole scripture at the end. I'm approaching it a little bit differently. Usually I read it at the beginning. I want to read it at the end so that you can have all the context and all the understanding as you hear the story. So in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, it's talking about this man. He lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. This man is a picture of the destructive and evil intent that the enemy of your soul has for your soul. Here is a man who is completely under the enemy's control. He is unrestrainable. He is tormented day and night he is injuring himself and let me just pause there for a second because this isn't just something that happens in the ancient middle east in uh situations like this anytime you are tempted to hurt or destroy yourself just recognize that as the enemy that is not god that is not good If you have that urge, you need to tell somebody about it. You need to get help because your heavenly father loves you. 
The people around you love you. You do not need to injure, cut, hurt, damage yourself in any way. Get the help that you need. That is clearly an evil influence. It's not good. It's not beneficial. It's not acceptable. Get help. And so here's this man who is tormented, who is displaying what, People have seen throughout the ages, people under demonic control sometimes display just an unusual amount of strength. He could not be restrained. He could not be chained. And he is in torment and hurting himself. And then the question, he, this man approaches Jesus and with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me? Why, why are you interfering? And then he identifies him, Jesus Son of the Most High God. He's recognizing who Jesus is, recognizing his divinity. Just like, if you remember in Mark 124, where Jesus is in the synagogue and he encounters another demon-possessed man, it's almost the exact same thing. He also asks, why are you interfering with me? He also identifies him as the divine Son of God. And he also says, why are you, why, uh, please don't destroy me. That's John, or Mark one twenty four. And here in Mark 5, 7, it's, I beg you, don't torture me. W what's going on here? Remember what I said about when Jesus shows up and announces the kingdom of God, it's end of time kind of thing. The enemy, the demons know that when that time is up, that there is a lake of fire that is prepared specifically for them. When the first demon says, don't destroy me, and the second legion of demons say, don't torture me, what they're saying is, please don't, don't end the ages. Please don't turn us over to our ultimate fate. So then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion because there are many of us. I'll let you read the notes in the growth guide to understand that a little bit more in depth a little bit later. Now, the last thing I want to point out is the irony of the response. So the story is there's a legion of demons. They don't want to be sent away, so they beg to be sent into a herd of pigs that is nearby. Jesus gives them permission, and immediately after the demons enter into the pigs, they run down a steep cliff into the sea and drown just highlighting again that the only purpose that the enemy has for you and anyone else is destruction and death, and that's it. So the crowd, after gathering because of this, pleads with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. You would think somebody who is exercising power and delivered this man that would be welcomed, but no, I think it seems like they're more upset about losing the herd of pigs than the man being healed. And then the man himself begs Jesus to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So you have this contrast of responses. The man who has been delivered is clinging to Jesus and wants to go with him. But he tells him, no, you go and bear testimony to your family and to your home about what the Lord has done for you. The people 
who should have been welcoming him because he's displaying this power over evil, end up instead begging him to go away. So let's look at it together. <coughs> I put the entirety of the scriptures on the lyrics page as well, so you can follow along there. This is Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. So they, Jesus and his disciples, arrived at the other side of the lake. Remember, a change of scenery is a change of uh, segment in the Gospel of Mark. In the region of Gerasenes, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was some distance away, still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because we are there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, No, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. Not only because this is the first Sunday of the month, but also because of the theme of this story, I felt like it was a good day to do communion. Because that's that question that Jesus has asked at the beginning, why are you interfering? What, that, that's the question that he was faced with us as well, right? What's between 
you and me. We are in rebellion. We are opposed to God in our natural state. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. God had no obligation to do anything about any of that. But the scriptures say, because of his great love, because of his great love, he was unwilling to just let things be and let things play out in our life. He intervened. He interfered. He came and rescued us. And so when we take communion, what we're doing is reminding ourselves of what God has done for us, that he was unwilling to let us remain in that state and instead offered his body as a sacrifice for our sins so that his body would be broken for us, his blood spilled on our behalf. And so it's a good reminder to us that out of his great love, he took the initiative for us. And also, in light of the story we just read, it's a good reminder that when we say yes to Jesus, we are now under his authority, under his protection. We belong to his family, and we are a part of his kingdom. The enemy has no rights to you anymore. So let's remember that as we celebrate. So go ahead and get the bread. As I just quoted, when the Apostle Paul was giving instruction to the church at Corinth about celebrating the Lord's Supper or communion, he said that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And it says, likewise, he took the cup after supper. And after he had given thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And I love that last phrase in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter of 1 Corinthians. It says, and as often as you do this, however often you celebrate the Lord's Supper, as often as you do this thing, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. That word there, proclaiming, is the same word for preaching. That every time you do this, you might not be saying a word, but you are preaching, you are telling the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he has made us alive because of his offering of himself on the cross. That you are forgiven, that God is not holding your past against you, that he has secured your place in heaven with him forever, that there is no power above or below 
that will prevent his love and his purposes being played out in your life because you belong to him. That is good news. That you can go forward in hope and in understanding that whatever forces may be arrayed against you, you belong to the greater power and the winning side. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for demonstrating your power over evil. That you did that 2,000 years ago when you walked on the earth and you do it day after day in our lives as you redeem and rescue and redirect us. I thank you, Lord, that we do not have to be afraid when we belong to you. That when we say yes to you, that you are not holding our sins against us and that you are protecting us, that we have only to resist the devil and he will flee from us having submitted ourselves to you. I pray that you would help us to make us effective in getting this message out and living it out. And may we be like you, not content to let things be when we see injustice, when we see the enemy's power being displayed. May we take our cue from you and interfere and get into good trouble and exercise the authority that you gave us to proclaim the good news and to see people delivered from evil, from sin, and from the world. May that be the case. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen.